How's it going? <laughs> okay, so in uh, typical fashion, I so I a couple weeks ago um, we had I can't remember his name, and I feel really bad for not remembering his name, but he came to Aaron. speak. Aaron, thank you. Aaron came to speak here, and. Uh, so now Luke is at Aaron's church speaking, so he asked me to speak today, and we talked a couple weeks ago about this, and it's now, we're like in Advent season, so I was going to talk about something Christmassy, and then um, not long after that, the, a lot of events happened in the world that affected a lot of people's lives, and I was like, am I really going to talk about Christmas right now? Like I, so I, I, I've been debating um, for the last like two or three weeks, like, is this really what I should talk about? But I actually feel like there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be really relative um, to what's going on. So when, I did, when Luke was like, do you want to talk? We're going to talk about Christmas stuff. I was like, yeah, I want to talk. I'm going to talk about my favorite Christmas story. And that's what I'm going to do. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah, you go for it. So... <laughs> I am going to preface this with saying, so a lot of times when I speak at Bloom, I do not necessarily have a Bible verse that I go with or anything like that. I don't, um, it's not that I don't value the Bible or don't, I don't read the Bible that often, but it's not that I don't value it or think that it is how we have found out about Jesus or any of that. But I think that a lot of my own personal faith comes through reading fiction, um, and really, I think what it does is it's, it's, a, it's more affirming my faith than defining it. But I think that it's easiest for me, anyways, to communicate faith principles through fiction stories because most fiction stories have not been used to abuse or um, disassociate people from other groups of people. And so for that reason, when I talk at Bloom, I usually talk about works of fiction because it is... It has not been twisted to hurt others. And so I think it is the easiest way to simply show a principle that is found in the Bible, but it's kind of like, I'm not going to say I'm like Jesus in parables, but that's kind of one of my line of thought is I'm using fiction to communicate the idea. So I told Luke, I want to talk about A Christmas Carol because it's my favorite Christmas story. Because a couple years ago, um, they remade the... So the Christmas Carol has been like a, done a billion times, but they made it into like an animated film a couple years ago, which sounds weird, but it was actually really good. And it was the closest to the original source material that I've ever seen. And so by watching it, it came out probably like, I don't know, maybe like, it was around the time we started going to Bloom, so probably about seven years ago. And uh, when I watched it, I was like, it was a religious experience. Like I was like, this is, there's a lot of, deep material in here that I never realized was actually in the story, because before that, I had never read it, and all I had really seen was Muppet Christmas Carol, which, don't get me wrong, it's like one of the best Christmas movies ever, but a lot of the, like, it's not gone, but it's not, a lot of the emphasis on the social, economic, and, um, you know, the source material is very heavily focused on the, the theme of redemption, but also those who have giving to those who have not. Um, and so I read the book last year, and I recommend reading it. It's like 70 pages. It's a super quick read. But it is chock full of, like, wisdom. Like, there's a lot of things that I read in it, and I was like, that makes, like, perfect sense. Like, why do we, like, why don't we talk more about this story? Um, so I'll talk a little bit about the history of the story and kind of how it's impacted our culture, and then I will kind of go through my parts that really stand out to me and kind of have helped shape my faith. So the book was written by Charles Dickens in 1843. Um, it was at a time where Christmas was a thing, but it was not, it's not what it was today. So Charles Dickens had a really huge impact on how we do Christmas because he started the Christmas Carol being the first one and he wrote five more Christmas themed stories. And they kind of helped define our like Christmas traditions as far as like the Yule log and the Christmas tree and the goose and like all of that stuff. Uh, because Europe at that time was kind of like, we wanted to have Christmas, but there was not a lot of like strict 
or not like strict, but there was not a lot of like set in stone like traditions. And so a lot of his stories kind of popularized Christmas. And the first one he wrote was A Christmas Carol, which is actually a ghost story, which if you don't really think about it, like it doesn't seem like a ghost story, but like the source material, like it's all ghosts. Like everything has to do with ghosts in it. And it's actually surprisingly dark, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of brilliant like little nuggets of wisdom in it. Um, since it was printed in 1843, it's never gone out of print. It's been continually put through a million adaptations. Um, and I think through some of that, we, we've lost a little bit of the ideas that were originally in the story. So I, I didn't have time to reread it, so I apologize. But I watched the movie again last night to be like, okay, what parts am I going to take out and be like, this is something that's really fascinating. Um, and this is something that is really relevant to today. So, I mean, raise your hand if you've seen some form of The Christmas Carol. Like, we, we kind of know it, but I'm going to go into a little bit more detail on some of the things that are said in the book. So, The Christmas Carol opens with Scrooge, who is this, like, bitter, crabby old guy who says bah humbug all the time. But a lot of the dialogue that happens in the first section of the book, I was like, it's really funny, but it's also really dark because it's, Scrooge is a very relatable character because I think we've all had moments where we're crabby and we're like, well, who cares about this, that, or the other? But the book opens with Scrooge. His partner has died, and seven years later, it's Christmas again. And, um, you know, Christmas season is in full swing, and he is having none of it. And some gentlemen come into his... Uh, I'm not quite sure if he's like a accountant or what, but he basically deals in money. And this gentleman comes into his office and is like, we are trying to put together a fund for the poor. We are trying to spread the Christmas cheer. And he's like, why would we be doing that? So some of his like direct quotes, they says, um, he says, I can't afford to make idle people marry. And when it is said, you know, there are a lot of people who do not have resources. He says, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? And at the time, a workhouse in the UK was, it was um, essentially, I'm not going to compare it to welfare because I don't know all the nuances between, but essentially the workhouse was a very, you didn't want to be there. Um, it was, they made it as miserable as possible so that way people who were able-bodied would not want to be there, but basically it was like a last resort. And Charles Dickens as a child, his father uh, was in a lot of debt, and so he was basically put into a workhouse and the children were then separated from their parents and he basically was an orphan. And that's where like we get all of our twists and all of Dickens' stories have a lot to do with poverty. And so Scrooge says, are there no workhouses? And that's essentially the system's way of helping those who don't have anything. And so Scrooge is kind of saying, it's not my job. Like, that's the government's job. The government has it taken care of. There are prisons. There are workhouses. Someone's taking care of it. I don't have to do anything with it. Which I have thought similar things myself. Like, it's not, it shouldn't fall on my shoulders. Someone else has control of it. Um, the gentleman who visits him then goes on to say, you know, if, if we don't help these people, they could die. Like, there's nothing... Like, there's nothing keeping them going. And he says, well, then maybe they better do it and decrease the, sur the surplus population. So we get that he's just not a very nice guy. And he goes home that night, and he gets visited by a ghost, which is super creepy if you think about it. But it's his, his dead partner, Jacob Marley. And I always forget that it's Jacob Marley, not Bob Marley, because I've called him that like three <laughs> times before. But so Jacob Marley comes to visit him. And he's covered in chains, and it's been wandering the world ever since his death, getting no rest. And this, and this scene is kind of comical because Scrooge is like, kind of making fun of the fact that he's seeing a ghost. He says, there's more, there's more of gravy than the grave about you. Like, it's very, Scrooge is funny. Like, he's a funny character, but he, he's, he's us in a way because we, sometimes can blow off things and blow off society and blow off they, like how we perceive the world. And Jacob Marley 
tells him, I've been wearing these chains that I forged in life, and you should see yours. Yours, are, yours were at least this long when I died. And in the book, and not necessarily in all the films, but in the, in the novel, Scrooge looks out the window, and there are like hundreds of ghosts with chains and various... Um, they all have different... They all symbolize different things, but they all have different things that they have chained themselves to in life that prevented them from doing more. And I don't know, it's just it's a fascinating idea that whatever we're doing with our life, we're, we're creating something, and sometimes it's positive and sometimes it's not. And Scrooge says, says to Jacob Marley, he says, well, you were, you're a good man, you're a good businessman. And Marley's like, business? My business was robbing the poor, like, essentially. And it, it kind of just shows you that, like, maybe our principle of good is not good enough. Um, so they have this conversation, and Marley says, you're going to be visited by three ghosts. And Scrooge is like, I'm good. I don't need three ghosts. And he's like, no, it's going to happen. And so the... Sorry, I'm just going to check to make sure I talked about everything I wanted to talk about. So the first ghost that comes is the ghost of Christmas past, and it brings Scrooge kind of in a journey through time back to his previous Christmases in life, and you kind of get to see the story of why he became so bitter or what, what caused him to be so selfish and greedy. And the most interesting part is his relationship with this woman, where they... They're like a couple, but as time goes on, Scrooge is like, I'm not, I don't want to be married to you yet because I don't feel stable. I don't feel like we are, I don't have enough money. The last thing I want to be is poor, so let's not move forward with our relationship. And she points out that you're, you're, choosing, you're choosing money over me. You're choosing stability over me. I would, I would be happy if I were with you and we were poor. And I think that we've all probably been at a point in life where we choose stability or comfort over love, or we choose stability and profitability over what's probably best for us, because it feels safest. It feels like this is something that I can do. This is something that I'm comfortable with. And through that succession of story, we see that Scrooge becomes bitter and penny-pinching, and it's very relatable because it's not hard to see us doing that. This next part of the story is the one that I'm actually going to focus the most on because it's where the most of the... I, th I think the most of the meat of the story is in this section, in the story of uh, Scrooge and the Ghost of Christmas Present. Um, the ghost of Christmas present is described as like this big huge guy with a beard and he's like always laughing but a lot of the stuff he says is the deepest stuff in the book and um, he has a so just to describe more of the character so he's got this scabbard but there's no sword in there because it's supposed to represent peace on earth and he asks Scrooge, have you, have you met me or my brothers before me? And Scrooge is like, I don't think I've ever met you before. And he basically says, like, take a walk with me. I'm going to show you. This is the spirit of Christmas. And kind of brings him throughout the city and throughout the world and shows how, you know, the cheer is, you know, kind of making people's lives better. And they get to this building that is, that is closed, and it should be open because it's supposed to be helping the poor or those who don't have you know, a place to be for the night. And Scrooge is like, well, why is this closed? Like, it's, it's Christmas. Like, why? Like, this is, I, I thought the idea was that this is supposed to be the most giving day. Like, why is it closed? And the Ghost of Christmas Present says, hear me. There are some upon this earth of yours who claim to know me and my brothers and do their deeds of ill will and selfishness in our name. These so-called men of the cloth are estranged to me and my kin as if they had never lived. Charge their doings to them. And the first time I heard that, I was like, 
it's a little bit reminiscent of a scripture in Revelation where Jesus is like, you do things in my name, but you do not even know me. And I'm just going to leave that at that because that's I think, speaks enough for itself. And I think anything I elaborate on that's going to take away from how cool that is. So, um, then he takes Scrooge to see the home life of his one employee, Bob Cratchit. And Bob Cratchit has got a multitude of kids, but his youngest son is uh, a cripple. And uh, we don't really know why he's crippled, but he can't, he has to walk with a crutch. And his youngest son, Tiny Tim, says, they go to a church and Tiny Tim is excited to be at the church because he thinks that him being there will help remind people that, that God makes the, the blind man see and the lame man walk. And I just thought that was really fascinating that that was included in the story. And the Ghost of Christmas present says, I, in the future, I see that there's going to be an empty stool with a crutch hanging against it. And Scrooge is like, well, he's so young, like he shouldn't, he shouldn't die. I don't want him to die. And the ghost throws his words back at him and says, well, he had better die and decrease the surplus population. And you're like, well, yeah, you said that. And he kind of goes, and then they go, they actually, in the book, you see Christmas in like other countries a little bit too. And how the people have nothing but the spirit of Christmas um, is bringing them joy. And as the day, as that hour wears down, the ghost of Christmas present starts to die because his life cycle on the earth is very short. It's only a 24-hour uh, circuit. And as he's starting to die, um, and this is, I don't know if this is in any adaptation except the one that I've seen, but as he starts to die, Scrooge is like, what's that, what's that thing under your robe? It looks like, is it a claw? Is it a foot? And the ghost says, well, it might as well be a claw for the lack of, you know, flesh on it. And he, like, pulls open the bottom of his robe, and there are, like, two feral children sitting at his feet. And when I saw that for the first time, I was like, what is this? Like, this is so different than Muppet Christmas Carol. And, <laughs> like, but the, the ghost says, and he's like, are, they, are those children yours? And the ghost says, no, they are man's. The boy is ignorance, and the girl is one. And, and Scrooge says, well, do they have no resource? Like, why are they this way? And you, as Christmas is dying, the children, like, grow up, and you see them as adults. And the boy turns into a man wielding a knife, and he says, are there no prisons? And the girl basically turns into a prostitute and says, are there no workhouses? And as the clock strikes, like, they all disappear and die. And... You're like, what? Like, that's crazy. So they, the, the clock strikes, and they all disappear. And Scrooge is left there like, what did I just see? And out of the shadow comes this last ghost, which is the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And it's the darkest ghost because it doesn't speak to him. It only, like, points at what he should be seeing. And it shows in the future the world without Scrooge and it's a better place. Like, it's everyone just being like, isn't it great that he died? Like, we either got his money, or now we don't have to deal with him. And it's sad, but it's like, when you are so inwardly focused and so dependent on yourself and have no community with others, like, what do you expect is going to happen? Um, so he basically goes around and sees all of the, the different people who are benefiting from his death, and he says, can I see no, no, like, tenderness associated with death? And so then the ghost brings him to the house of Bob Cratchit, where Tiny Tim has just died, and they are all in mourning. And Scrooge is like, I can't take this anymore. Like, I can't do this. And the ghost basically brings him to his own grave. And Scrooge has, like, basically a come-to-Jesus moment, and he's like, is this set in stone? Is there anything I can do? Like, I want to sponge away this from my name. I want to be a better man. And he basically, like, trips and falls into his own grave and wakes up back in his bed. And by doing, by living through this, this dream or this whatever we think it is, he wakes up a changed man. And that's where, like, the big theme of redemption comes in is that, you know, it doesn't matter how far gone someone is, they can still be redeemed. And 
Scrooge then goes out into the city and starts buying things for people and starts don he, he donates a large sum to the workhouse and to um, and then he buys a goose for Bob Cratchit's family and it's really cute and it ends with you know Tiny Tim on his shoulder and he says God bless us everyone and that's like that's kind of how the story ends and so the first time I kind of absorbed all of it I was like this story is way deeper than I expected like there's a lot of heft to it and I could have gone into a lot more detail about some of the other things that kind of echo our own faith, but I think the thing that I take away as the two like largest themes of the story is the, is the theme of redemption and that it doesn't matter you know, how bitter we are or how inward focused we are, because in the, in, the me, in the metaphor of Scrooge, it has a lot to do with greed and money but I think it's applicable in other ways. It also could be reflected of resources. Um, it could also be reflected of privilege. It, you know, Scrooge as a character is comfortable in his own prosperity, um, but he's still miserable. And as a counterpoint, all of the other characters who have nothing are cheerful and are happy. And his story of redemption takes him from being insecure in his wealth and being selfish in everything that he has to giving everything that he has and making his home available for those who have nothing. And I think it's an interesting idea because like in my mind, I had a professor in college who talked a lot about the concept of, she called it like, she talked about it as a tree. And she, she talked about humanity as a tree, and the idea was as the tree is bent, so it grows. And so in my mind, I've kind of lived my whole life by this principle of if you think about it, when you think about people who are very elderly, they tend to be one of two ways. They tend to be very cheerful and happy and giving, or they tend to be very bitter and into, them, into what their world is. And... I, I've always kind of thought like, well, whatever habits I have now, like imagine them in 20 years or 30 years or 200 years if we're immortal beings, like what is that gonna look like? And what's fascinating about the story of Scrooge is that even, even late in life, even towards the end of, well, I feel like this is just what it's gonna be, there's still like the breakdown point of redemption that says there's, there's still change, change is still available, there's still there's still grace no matter where you're at on the spectrum. And I think that that's really powerful because it's really easy to feel like you can't change or there's no going forward or there's no, there's no better way out. And I don't think that in our own strength there is, but I think through God there is change and through God there is a removing of the bitterness, a, re a removal of the selfishness, a removal of um, acting out of our own wants. And then the other side of the story that I really wanted to touch and focus on was the social economic side of the story, which is that there are people in the world who do not have what we have, who do not have the same privileges, the same rights, the same, they haven't been offered the same opportunity. And it is our job in our understanding of Christ to, to extend that to other people, to extend those privileges to other people, to bring other people into what we have. And I guess that's really kind of where I'm gonna leave things. Um, I don't really have any like specific like discussion questions, so you can kind of bring what you will to the table, but that's kind of the two themes that I really wanted to talk about. Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's actually Jim Carrey, which I don't know why he's in every Christmas movie, but he is. And um, but he plays all the character, almost all the characters are played by him. Yeah. They're just it's closer to the original story, and so some of the other like themes, like ignorance and want, are not in the in the Muppet Christmas Carol um, because that would be terrifying. Oh no, I love that one too. Yeah. 
Oh no, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not dissing Muppet Christmas Carol. Muppet Christmas Carol is at the top of my list. But, um, but I think that I was just trying to communicate some of the, it doesn't touch as heavily. It's not, the story itself is actually super dark and really heavy. And so I liked the version that I saw a couple years ago because I was like, this is like, this is like deep stuff. Like there's a lot going on in this story. Um, and I haven't watched The Muppet Christmas Carol since last Christmas, so I, it's still on my Christmas list, but I, I don't know how close or not it is to the material, but, um, yeah. And that's part of why in that story Scrooge is so relatable because when you meet him at the beginning you're like, he's bitter, he's gross, he's crusty, how would I ever be like him? But then like, you see his past and you're like, well, I've totally done that myself where I've chosen comfort and stability over what is right or, or, or choosing profitability over love. Um, and I think that kind of sets you on a path of, of choosing that over and over. What do you guys think about the, I guess one of the, the quotes from the story that I appreciate the most is the scene with the ghost of Christmas present where he says, you know, these people who do things of ill will and selfishness in my, in my brother's names, um, they are as estranged from me as if they had never been born, charge their doings to them. That is really powerful to me because in this current world that we're in, there's a lot of times where people are doing things in the name of our God that are not at all in the spirit of our God. And I think for me, what's hardest is to not to respond in love. I think that for me is the, the biggest, hardest thing because when I see hatred or ignorance in the world, I want to respond with anger and hatred in return. But that's just hatred wearing a different mask. And I think the thing that I struggle with the most is like being like, how can you not understand this? Like, how can you not get it? And even in conversations I've had with people in the last couple of weeks, I'm like, how can you believe that that is right? How can you believe that that is okay? And they're coming from the same spot. And I think what's 
really, really hard is to, uh, to respond to ignorance and want and hatred in love because it's really easy to meet it right back where it is. And um, that doesn't necessarily have to do with the Christmas Carol, but that's something that I've also been thinking a lot about. Um, do you guys want to talk about that concept at all? What were you going to say, Matt?
put, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's really, I mean, that's really true to go along with your um, analogy. Like, we are called to be the extinguishers, not the gasoline. Like, we're called to be the peacemakers, to be the, I mean, and that's not to say that there are not times when you have to stand up to injustice and to, but it, it can, it is done in a way where what we are reflecting is that nature of God's love and saying that, like, I understand you're afraid and I understand that there's fear in you, but this is what I am going to do to help you. This is what I am going to do to help change your perspective. Um, I think that's really well put because I think that I know I had to bury my gasoline instead of using it all over Facebook. Like, I think there's like a, because <laughs> it's, it's really, really, really easy. And um, yeah, thank you for saying that. Um, I know for my, for myself, I am a judgmental person, and I will probably always be a judgmental person, but what I'm trying to do is understand where people are coming from so I can judge them fairly, because I think that there are a lot of, so like in my own personal life, I think 
what I've had to come to is the realization of <clears throat> how much, how much not, ignorance sounds mean, but it's just how much information is not known or how much experience is not shared. And I think that's what drives a lot of where people come from. And I, so I had to come to the realization that I don't, I really don't think people or most people intend ill for others or wickedness, but I think a lot of people do not have a clear understanding of other people's situation or other people's um, livelihood or circumstance. And I think that doesn't make them bad people or have poor opinions. It makes them unaware. Um, and I think the best thing we can do is to make people aware in a loving way. Um, and that's really hard because it's really easy to be like, you're stupid. How would you ever think that? But it's, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of unknowns, like people's personal thoughts. Like they think what they think for a reason and it's not because they're wicked. It's because they don't know or they don't understand or they don't, they don't have the same perception. Um, Yeah, it's really hard when we think what we know is right and what someone else thinks they know is right. That's really hard to, a really hard hurdle to jump over. Um, I think kind of going back to a little bit what the themes of, you know, like in A Christmas Carol, the, just as much, uh, the character of Scrooge is miserly and even though he has all sort of privilege and resource, He's incredibly miserable because of his fear and because of his, um, like, I don't think I'm going to have anything. And I think that that can be said in the same of people who are privileged today, myself included. There is a, um, there is an information deficit. Um, and I think that it's, an, it's really an experience deficit. And I think what's really hard is to ask people who have different experiences to share their experiences because there's been times where their experiences have been devalued. And um, I guess, I don't really know where it's going with that, but I totally agree. I think it's really hard to 
it's something that's really, really hard to talk out with someone. And there probably are times where it's a lot safer and easier to just say, I, I can't be having this conversation for my own sanity. And sometimes I think that's totally okay. I think it's totally fine to say, I guess, um, there's a, I think it's in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure, like, don't give pearls to swine. Like, there is a, there's a certain point where if someone is not going to be receptive, they're not going to be receptive, and that's okay. And that's just, it is what it is. Um, I think with our resources, including information, we have to, uh, um, we have to give um, when we can and how we can as often as we can um, in all of our resources. And there are times when um, it's okay to not, but I think what we have to do is look for the opportunities where it is good and where it is the right time to, to say, you know, here's, here's where I'm at and here's what, here's what I believe and here's what I think will help us as a society and here's what I want to do to help you understand me. Can you please help me understand you? Um, Yeah, I think that's all I got to say about that. I think it's interesting that you said that a lot of times we look at this as a Christmas story, but you look at it as a ghost story. Yeah. Um, and like, it's been a really long time since I've seen or read the, the Christmas Carol. Um, but there's a very particular way that I remember that story being, and it's about a really miserly, selfish, miserable guy who has his his life kind of rearranged because of his fear of dying alone. Um, and so I've always kind of felt that the Christmas Carol story kind of rings false and that like nobody's ever become a more compassionate person because of fear. Like that's that's not what makes people like that's not a redeeming redeeming motivator. And so getting more of the background and looking at the story in a different way of like ignorance being a character like I didn't recall that. Um, and understanding that Charles Dickens is writing at a time when there is a very big wealth gap and a very big gap of understanding the experiences of people on the different side of that divide from you. And I think that's a lot of what we're dealing with now, but looking at it as this is a guy who has three different people come and just sort of like, walk with me. Let's kind of take a look at what it looks like from the other side and who kind of just take him on like a conversational journey to look just just not even to interact with or um, be forced to deal with other perspectives, other perspectives, but just to see them. And like when he takes him to that place, it's closed, and he's like, "Why is this closed? It's it's Christmas. Like it's not like a seasonal thing that like people are ignorant or people are you know have no resources. It's it's a thing that happens all the time. So for it just to be seen as a story where this this guy gets a reality check, so he's like, "Yeah, you're seeing." your life is a thing that's about stability and it's about money because you're an accountant. Everything is about money in, in the way that your life is set up. But if you if you come walk down the sidewalk and look at the other people whose lives are going on around you and what their lives are about, there's a different understanding of, of what means something. And so to look at it as not maybe a Christmas story or a story of a guy who, you know, comes you know face to face with his own mortality but more as a story of, of a person who is taken out into the city to understand what need looks like. I think that maybe is a more powerful way to look at the story. And I'm, so I'm glad that you talked about a fictional story and what it, what it meant to you in a different way. Because um, I think a lot of times we look at these very traditional stories, whether they're from the Bible or whether they're fiction, in the way that they've kind of always been delivered. And it, it's really nice to take a fresh look at what's really going on.
Um, I think, does anyone have anything else they want to share? Or I think we're at a good spot where we can. Yeah, body swapping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to pray. Um, Jesus, I ask that you would help us as we're going through this Advent season, but also through the whole year, uh, help us to um, understand what resources and privileges that we have been given and how we can help other people who do not have the same things offered to them. And I pray that you would help us to, uh, to realize other people's stories and to realize other people's needs and to realize other people's situations and to not take for granted that everyone agrees on everything and to not take for granted that uh, everyone has been afforded the same things. Um, I pray that you would help us to show your love uh, in communicating your story um, I pray that you would bless us as we go throughout our day and that you would help us to see how much you are present in our daily lives and how much you are present in the little stories that we share with one another. In your name, amen.